Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Friday, October 12th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date on Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. I'm Kishore Hari. Now that's a voice I've been heard for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, listeners, in case you hadn't noticed, I hope you have. Uh, I've been out for the last six weeks or so. I just had a, I made a new human being. It, an entire human being? Yep, her name is Vika. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. But now I'm back and excited to dive back in. Oh, okay, so where do you want to start? Well, I guess there was some big news. It was like one of my favorite weeks in science of the year just last week. Uh, you mean the beginning of autumn? Or no, you probably mean the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah, I mean when you're waiting by the phone at 3 a.m. And well, mine didn't ring, but I don't know. Did I wasn't always? waiting by the phone. I don't know what you think of my <laughs> my scientific background, but no one was calling me. This was an interesting set of Nobel Prizes um, because even the economics one touches on science this year. Uh, so where do you want to start? Uh, choose any of them well, except peace. We're not talking about peace. <laughs> yeah, we're not definitely not talking about peace. I mean, I guess so you have, we have to mention the fact that a woman won uh, the Nobel Prize for physics for only the third time. Uh, so this is like every 60 years this happens. Yeah, and it's important to note that uh, there's been two major snubs in physics uh, for Nobel Prizes. There was um, Jocelyn Bell, who actually discovered pulsars in the 1960s, and her graduate advisor was awarded the Nobel Prize for that discovery. Uh, which is widely considered one of the biggest snubs in Nobel history because she did the work. Uh, and then there's Vera Rubin, who did all of the work that really led to our understanding of dark matter as being a thing that exists by understanding sort of like the twisting of galaxies. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away. So there's no way for her to win the Nobel Prize. This goes into my longstanding rant that I think the Nobel Prizes are out of date. Because they can't be awarded posthumously. The committee that selects them is oftentimes slightly biased in their construction. Uh, and that you can only award three laureates per prize. And oftentimes, especially in these physics ones, that isn't enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think that I, I want to focus less on the fact that she's a woman and more on the fact that, you know, this was a really interesting discovery. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating one. Laser trapping of atoms, which is one of her collaborators, won uh, the Nobel Prize for, is amazing. The idea that we can have a laser and it actually exerts radiative pressure on an item and you can use that sort of energy that the, that the photons are bringing to play to actually trap atoms by having sort of beams of focused lasers shine and use that radiative pressure to keep an atom in place. And then you can use that energy to siphon off energy from the atom leading to its cooling. That laser trap and the cooling is, is a really 
uh, a fundamental form of laser physics that uh, that has uh, changed the way that a number of instruments work. It has radically changed our understanding of atoms at the lowest energy level. Um, I thought that was great. Now, Donna Strickland won for her work that was a little bit different because now any anyone that's ever gotten LASIK owes owes a debt of gratitude to Donna Strickland for her work in pulsing lasers uh, to generate greater sort of intensity and power. Uh, and now that's in so many devices that we use. It is it is amazing how lasers have really reshaped physics in so many ways. And you know, just like anyway, is that, that a cool. is that a LASIK joke? It's felt like a LASIK <laughs> joke. I don't know if I have the brain capacity for jokes yet. Madison Reed is a company named by the founder Amy Arrett after her daughter, and it's revolutionizing the way women color their hair. So for decades, women essentially had two options for hair color. You could get outdated hair color that you bought at the pharmacy, or you had to spend a lot of time and money at a salon. So Amy created Madison Reed because she believes that women deserve better than just the status quo. Madison Reed is reinventing the way women color their hair by offering the quality of salon color, but with the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color. It's also an ammonia-free formula with ingredients that you can feel good about. So you'll look just like you came from a salon, but the reality is, is that you had more me time to do what you love and not had to have to spend the money and the time at the salon. Experience beautiful, multidimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door and on your schedule for under $25. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. That's R-E-E-D. Madison Reed would like to honor Inquiring Minds listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code MINDS. That's code M-I-N-D-S. What do you think about the the biology one, the physiology and or medicine? Because we had immunotherapy actually win the prize this year. Yeah, so that seemed to me a little safe. Uh, you know, it was kind of expected. You kind of expect that, you know, that it, it is an amazing uh, uh, advance. But this is something that, you know, I feel like was not out of the ordinary. Now, and for listeners that might not know the details of this prize, like, there's the idea that, you know, we need to activate white blood cells and use those white blood cells to uh, attack cancerous cells. But there's key antigens and keys that are sort of handed back and forth. And oftentimes cancer has a key that basically blocks the, the T cell from attacking it. And if we inhibit that key, we can actually uh, encourage the T cell to eat that cancer cell. Now, I think it's important to note that like a lot of therapies that have been developed past, uh, based on this um, this technology and this technique are really expensive. Like yeah. they're hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, because they're so specialized too, you know, I mean, you can't, you're not going to be able to sell a drug to a hundred billion people. You're going to have to target it to the individual more or less. And immunotherapy has taken a long time to sort of take root. There's been sort of fits and starts. We had some uh, issues where even a, a patient died in a trial, uh, in an immunotherapy trial. Uh, so it hasn't reached its promise yet. Um, but I, at the same time, the fundamental discovery that there is this mechanism that's essentially like a slowdown to our immune system, you know, targeting cancer uh, is one of those like 
again, safe. We've known about it for a long time, but really fundamental discoveries. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more kind of like fill in the blanks work that needs to be done in in immunotherapy, obviously, before this is going to be, you know, uh, reach its potential. Um, And we'll probably see a couple more people win Nobel Prizes for those steps. Isn't this only... Isn't this truly, if we were to sort of unpack it, the first Nobel Prize that was really awarded for something related to cancer? I mean, there's been other prizes that kind of have association to cancer, but this one is really explicitly about cancer in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess so. I'm going to have to take your word for that because... (laughs) Take my word for this. I'm right about this. Okay, (laughs) awesome. Well, so to me, what was really interesting, too, is that the Nobel Prize for Economics also had a scientific bent. Yeah, and this is on the heels of the IPCC report uh, that came out this week that the Nobel Prize in Economics went to two economists that predicted that rising CO2 emissions were going to cause some problems for us. Yeah, and the IPCC report, if you haven't heard about it, is devastating. Uh, essentially, what the conclusions are is that we have 10 years to make drastic changes or it'll be too late. Yeah, and these economists really looked at data going back to the 70s around CO2 emissions rising. So mm-hmm. this IPCC report, which I think a lot of people in, in popular press reacted to as like, oh, this is shocking. Look at this information. Like, we've been talking about this for 30, 40 years in some mm-hmm. circles. I actually wasn't terribly shocked by this. I think this is like the bill coming due. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, (laughs) anyone I think following the IPCC reports on climate change should not be too shocked. And if you want a more in-depth kind of overview of of what they talked about, uh, we got to recommend the co-creator of this podcast, Chris Mooney, uh, who was recently interviewed on an NPR program called On Point. Uh, It's an hour-long program talking about the report. So you should listen to that to get some really detailed information. Yeah, but is it the kind of interview that's going to make me feel sick to my stomach because of how doom and gloom it is? Yeah, you might want to like, you know, grab a beer or a glass of wine while you're listening to that, but don't eat any meat or dairy products because that will just make the environment worse. Let me ask you just one thing about this. Like, this is like one of the those like, you know, pet peeves for me. Do you think that doom and gloom stuff works? Oh, I mean, I don't know if it works, but I think it's accurate. Yeah, I think it's accurate. I don't <laughs> think it works. I think like I think there's it's been tried for a long time and we haven't seen much behavior change as a result of it. So... I'm actually not convinced. Uh, I get what was written in that report and it, how it said 10 years and and um, the degree rise and how we're seeing the ramifications of it now. Uh, but I still don't. I think that report needs to be written in the context of what's actually going to make people change. And I think scientists constantly saying, you know, this is going to happen and it's you know creeping closer hasn't worked. So maybe our message has to change. Or, yeah, I mean... Something has to change. <laughs> well, how about ending on a note of optimism? Oh, yes, please do. Okay, so um, one of the things that caught my eye this week is uh, uh, an article published in the journal Nature Medicine. So you know how like these days, if you get stitches, they dissolve. I don't know, when I was a kid, like you actually had to go back to the doctor and they ripped those puppies out and it was really painful. And now they don't have to do that anymore. And uh, what if you had a way to help even bigger problems like nerve damage? So one of the things that happens when your peripheral nervous system is damaged, let's in the peripheral nervous system, you're talking about things that go not beyond the brain and spinal cord. Um, If those peripheral nerves are damaged, they actually do regenerate. So unlike, you know, nerves in your brain or tracts in your brain that, that don't like spontaneously regrow, your peripheral nervous system can regenerate. But regardless of age, so even... 
Yeah, like, regardless of age. Uh, although, you know, for, you know, in some cases, the obviously the bigger the damage, the harder it might be to, re- to you know, regenerate, etc. But um, but yeah, you can get nerve regrowth and it can be sped along by a little bit of electrical stimulation. Uh, so in, in the past, uh, or up until now, I should say, the best way to do that was during surgery. So if you're having surgery to repair some kind of nerve damage, um, during the surgery, the surgeons can actually electrically stimulate those nerves, and that sort of gets the process of, of regrowth going. Now, what if I told you that you could have a similar process like the dissolving stitches, but this electrical stimulation? I, I don't follow. Like dissolving electrical stimulation? How does that work? Yeah, so this group at um, the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis and Northwestern developed this device that they can they implanted in rats uh, that's biodegradable. And what it does is it stimulates the, the nerve uh, for a certain amount of time and then eventually just dissolves or degrades, uh, gets taken up by the body. I guess uh, and every time I hear the word electrical stimulation, I think metal and electrodes and like, how does that biodegrade? <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know the uh, people can can look up the actual uh, study to find more details of exactly what the materials are. It's the, the study is called Wireless Bioresorbable Electronic System Enables Sustained Non-Pharmacological Neuroregenerative Therapy, Nature Medicine. And so essentially what it is, it's it's, it's device that's wirelessly powered. Um, the transmitters outside the body you can think of it as like, you know, when you put your cell phone down on a charging mat. Uh, so here's a similar uh, a similar way in which this this thing works, uh, and 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 apparently it eventually just gets retaken up by the body. I'm sort of assuming it like biodegrades into something that can be passed. That's sort of that's fascinating. So they can keep the electrical stimulation there for a couple of days. So not just active during surgery, but in the hours and days that follow. Like we know a lot of uh, athletes use this kind of electrical stimulation technique to promote like um, either muscle regeneration or nerve regeneration, as you're saying, Uh, does this, this must be tiny. It's about the size of a quarter. Really? So it's not tiny, tiny. Something that big to regenerate nerves? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, well, at least for the rats, this is in in rat legs. So it's possible that we need something that obviously in humans is going to be a different size. But I think just like the technology itself sounds really cool. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And actually, that brings me to what we'll be talking about on Monday. So on Monday, uh, we're going to upload my interview with a surgeon named Arnold Vandelar. And he wrote a book recently called Under the Knife. And it details 28 interesting historical surgical procedures uh, that had an influence on the field of surgery. And I had a really great conversation with him. So that'll be our interview for next week. See you then. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.